get ready for another really inspiring conversation because this is another episode from my Empowered CEO Interviews series and I have got a real treat for you today. The Empowered CEO interviews are all about hearing from the most inspiring and amazing female leaders who have made the jump out of a corporate job and career into being the purpose-led business owners and empowered CEOs of their awesome businesses. And I think you're going to absolutely love this week's episode. It's with Jessica Lorimer, who is going to be sharing her journey and inspiring you all with her fantastic knowledge and golden nuggets about what that shift really means. Listen in to find out more. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Resign and Shine podcast. This week is another in my occasional series, the Empowered CEO Interviews. And I've got a real treat for you today because I'm going to be interviewing the fabulous Jessica Lorimer. Jessica is a podcaster as well, which she'll tell you all about later. But she is also the UK's most influential sales coach for service-based entrepreneurs who are looking to sell their services to corporate organisations. So she's in a really interesting position of straddling the business world, the corporate world, and the world of entrepreneurs and service-based, purpose-led business owners like yourselves. She has been featured all over in Forbes, in City AM, on Good Morning Britain, and she is responsible for helping thousands of business owners scale their businesses through simple, integrity-based sales techniques. And she does this in a really sustainable and lifestyle-focused way. She has a successful corporate background herself, so she has come from the same place that many of my listeners are moving away from. And she brings a really unique understanding of new business development and sales growth to the market. So she is fascinating and we have lots and lots of great nuggets in this episode. I hope you really enjoy it. I am Lucy Orton and I am a certified positive psychology coach and a success and transformation coach. If this is your first foray into the Resign and Shine podcast, then you are very welcome. I hope you enjoy it. And there are many more episodes in the archives. But without further ado, let's get on with today's show. Hi, Jess. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about being here today. Thank you so much for coming. I am really excited because I love listening to your podcasts. So ah. this feels like a lovely circular situation where I'm getting to interview you for mine. <laughs> it's always so weird, isn't it? People actually, uh, they usually see me face to face and they're like, oh my goodness, you're a real person. Like you have more than head and shoulders. And I'm just like, yes, it's it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it is really weird, isn't it? And it's so strange in this online space, the people that you converse with who you might never have seen stood up. <laughs> mm. I know, it's so weird. People always say to me, they always say, I thought you were going to be taller. And so I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong on that front, but apparently my body is just really long. <laughs> that, well, I really hear you there because <laughs> we are getting into irrelevancies for podcast information, for podcast listeners, but I also have an extremely long body and very short legs. 
<laughs> so, um, which makes me sound quite interesting. But yeah, my body is very long. So maybe other people will think that about me when they've seen my videos. There and, you go. Yeah, Intriguing. Just, just something to watch out for. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, with that conversation done, the body length conversation, which mm. was definitely number one on my list for today's podcast. Um, I just want to say thank you for coming on to this episode. This is the second in my Empowered CEO interview series. And I just do this series occasionally. So it's really exciting to have you on because you're, I think, in a really unique position with what you do. It feels really interesting and different. And I think a lot of my listeners will find it fascinating. So do you want to have me? And uh, I'm happy to share all of the gory details. (laughs) well could you give everyone who hasn't listened to your podcasts and feel free to name check them as well so people can check them out and I will put all the details in the show notes but could you give my listeners a little introduction to who you are and what it is that you do yeah of course so obviously my name is Jess I left the corporate world uh, seven years ago now um, to set up my own sales uh, training consultancy. I did that in 2014. So we've been going for, you know, just under seven years at this point. Um, and we have two arms to the business. One is I teach entrepreneurs how to sell their services into corporates. And the second arm to our business is that we actually run a corporate division ourselves. So we sell our sales training consultancy um, and workshops in to corporate organisations across the world, um, focusing specifically on some rather challenging industries right now in sports uh, recruitment um, and other areas that need some help with virtual sales. So that's where we focus as a company um, in 2020. Fantastic. Yeah, that's super interesting. And your two podcasts you have. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, we're running both. So we have Selling to Corporate because I refuse to give things jazzy names um and we have smart leaders sell as well uh which has been running for almost 300 episodes now um and we'll be we'll be hitting the big 300 mark after christmas uh and selling to corporate has been running since june last year so it's been it's been an exciting uh 18 months over there just to let my listeners know the way that I was introduced to Jessica was through my business coach Jen Hall and Jessica created a fantastic and I'm being very official calling you Jessica sorry Jess (laughs) um, created a fantastic course called podcasting that pays so Jess really knows her stuff about podcasting as well but that's kind of a sideline for you your podcasting expertise yeah it's one of those weird things I just love podcasting um, and it's been an awesome awesome medium uh for my business uh moving forward with it and it's it's just such a easier way of creating content for people to consume and so scott my podcast producer and i we co-created podcasting that pays back in i think 2018 um and it was just the little the little course that could and and so we have lots of people who go through it and love it um and it is great uh but it's it's mainly just to inspire more people to podcast as opposed to like a, a big part of of our business model it's really really cool yeah, I, I loved it. I loved that course. And it is just a kind of perfect length. It's not um it's not any longer than it needs to be. It's not it doesn't overcomplicate things. It really gets people kick started and I, I really love that. I found that really oh, useful so back glad. in the summer. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> um so thank you for telling me about your business. And obviously previously to your business, you worked in corporate and a lot of my listeners are either 
newly have either newly left that world Mm -hmm. or they're about to make that jump so could you tell us a bit about your journey from the corporate world to starting your own business yeah of course I think my journey might be different to some of your listeners um I I loved my corporate job. And I I always say that whenever I'm interviewed anywhere, because people always ask, you know, why did you leave? Were you driven to set up a business? What was it that you wanted to achieve? And for me, my journey was quite different. I was uh, responsible for new business development for some of the biggest firms in the world. Uh, and I was doing that across multiple different countries. Um, and I was working with some phenomenal people. And at the peak of my career, I was um, a top performer. I was traveling regularly. I was training you know, thousands of people across uh, different countries um, with the sales methods that I was using that were working really well for companies. And then I woke up one morning and I was, I just couldn't put my finger on it. I was just sick and I couldn't figure out and I tried to power through. And eventually after a lot of visits back and forth to doctors and neurologists and other amazing medical professionals, um, they let me know that I had uh, myalgic encephalitis and that if I didn't stop the, um, high hour working weeks. I was probably doing, you know, 70, 80 hours a week at that point and traveling and, and things. Um, then I would be wheelchair bound by the time I was 35. And wow. yeah. And, and I was, I mean, I was 24, so just 20, yeah, almost about to hit 24. I was, I was 23 and 11 twelfths, as you said earlier, um, <laughs> which I really liked. Uh, but yeah, so I was, I was almost 24 and, and I was kind of looking at my life ahead of me thinking, well, that's not, ideal. That's that's not what I would want or choose. And I went to my boss um, in the company I was working for. And, and obviously, you know, they were incredibly sympathetic, but their overall stand was, you know, we, we don't have people working part-time. Like it's just not a thing that we do in sales. We we don't feel like it would work for our company, etc. Um, and so they said, you know, why don't you take your three months gardening leave um, and, and, you know, where you go. And so I set up my business. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was the most bizarre thing ever because they were so good about it. And normally in sales, you don't get great like ending processes. (laughs) Um, But actually they were, they were incredible. They were really, really good. And, you know, the, the irony now is that obviously I get a lot of the companies I used to work for who were adamant that I probably couldn't have been part-time will now use us and our services. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The world has changed um, in, in the last seven years, but for me, you know, I I firmly saw myself on the corporate track. I was, you know, I wanted a corner office. I wanted a view of the, the city. I, you know, was really, really happy climbing the escalators every day. And I probably wouldn't have left otherwise. Um, so for me, I was thrust into entrepreneurship rather than making a plan. And in some ways, actually, that made my journey a lot easier. And in other ways, it made it a lot harder because I had to let go of some things that I probably wasn't ready to say goodbye to just yet. Yeah, definitely. Like it's a huge wake up call at such a young age. Mm. And like you said, it wasn't a decision, more, yeah. more an imperative. 
Yeah, yeah, that's really um, interesting. And it's actually interesting that you say, you know, this is different from maybe some of the people listening in, but mm. just from some of the conversations I've had with clients and listeners, I actually think it's probably more common than maybe you think, because I think there are many people who come into a more individualized way of working and want to own their own businesses and do their own thing. Because even today, when things are better and more um, evolved Mm. they can't quite find that in the corporate world because of their other responsibilities definitely health issues I've hit upon that previously with clients and I have an an amazing colleague who also has um, a health condition that she manages constantly and I think it's yeah I think it's a really important conversation and so valuable as well for people who have any kind of constraints to remember that with your own business you get to design it so Mm -hmm this could be a fantastic, you know, route for you. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, when you get to the part where you've built your business up, absolutely, the flexibility is key. And I mean, I haven't had a, I haven't had a setback in six years. So I would thoroughly recommend it if anyone out there does have health issues. You know, the first year is a bit of a trial, but the rest of it, hundred <laughs> percent yeah. works. Yeah, and I, I love that. And I think, you know, making that business by design, as James yeah. Webmore would say, or, you know, creating that lifestyle first and then the work comes second is so in the zeitgeist at the moment, I think. Mm. It's on, on the tip of what so many people want to do, but they're not quite able to articulate it yet. So you definitely were a bit of a trailblazer and at such a young age. <laughs> yes, I think that sounds fancier than it was. <laughs> they basically had to push me out of the office. They were like, yeah, go yeah. away. <laughs> was just like crying on the tube. <laughs> yeah, it must it have been good. almost traumatic to be told that and have to go through that so quickly. Um, I think, you know, it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, but at the time, I think when you're 24 anyway, um, you you have very different attitudes towards life, you know, and, and I think you you kind of almost assume that you're on a path to very specific things. You know, I wanted to progress in the company. I wanted to hit certain levels. I wanted to hit certain milestones. Um, and for me, it was just readjusting the dream a little bit. And, and, you know, once I'd kind of gotten over the, I think, hacked offness, if that's a term, at my own body for not being able to do that, I was like, right, well, where can I do that? Where can I operate in a meritocratic environment, but on my own terms? And and that was having my own business. Because realistically, I could have done something else part-time. I, if I'd have really wanted to, I could have gone and found something um, to do part-time. But for me, you know, the the reason that I love sales, the reason that I'm in sales has always been because it's the only truly meritocratic environment I could find that where I wasn't restricted by anything other than how good I was at my job. And that was all I wanted was to be good at my job. And, and having my own business gives me the ability to do that, which is really, really cool. Really cool. That's a, that's fantastic. And one of the questions I was going to ask you a bit later, but I think I'm going to pull it in now because it kind of seems to segue quite nicely, is if you hadn't become a business owner then, if you'd mm. carried on, if your body hadn't made that decision for you, what would you have left on the table seven years down the line that you, you've achieved now at, at 31? Um, it's really interesting. Um, I would have left a lot. Uh, and it, I think it depends on what you value. So I guess the, the things that I would miss out on that most people find um, interesting, I would have missed out on writing my first book. I would have missed out on, you know, 
hosting two podcasts, which is pretty cool. I would have missed out on building um, a seven-figure business. I would have missed out on burning that original business to the ground and, and rebuilding something entirely different, which <laughs> is, is a challenge, um, but but not one um, that I've I've not enjoyed. I've, I've loved every second. Um, I would have missed, you know, speaking on various stages around the world on one of my favorite topics. And I would have missed working with over um, about 7,500 entrepreneurs at this point um, in the last six, seven years. Uh, and I would have missed out on working with about 20,000 people around the globe on uh, B2B sales. So I would have missed out on quite a lot. Um, but I think more importantly, you know, for me, the, the things that are important around core values. And for me, I think there's definitely, there would have been part of me that if I was still working for companies, I would have at some point along the way had to compromise my standards, I, I think, because, you know, the different industries go different ways. And, you know, we're, we've faced some particularly hard times over the last six years. Um, I think I would have had to compromise at certain times on my integrity, which wasn't something that I ever wanted to do. Um, you know, and I also would have had to work with a lot of people that maybe didn't like the job as much as me. And and that's the benefit of working with entrepreneurs is that I get to work with people who actually choose this, who, you know, really want to be good at sales because they've got other bigger goals um, in the world. And, and that's something that, you know, I couldn't replace necessarily or replicate in the, in the corporate world. Yeah, that makes me question as well that difference between the entrepreneur mind mindset or the business owner mindset and the corporate through and through mindset. And I, I don't know if anyone is corporate through and through. That's kind of probably a misnomer. But how do you see those two mindsets if we look at them in their sort of more stereotypical forms? You know, it's really interesting. Um, I loved the corporate world and I still do, you know, a whole section of my business is, is dedicated um, to supporting and um, selling to corporate organisations. Yeah. And, you know, we sell to salespeople, essentially, and, and salespeople are some of the most interesting people on the planet because <laughs> our our brains go off and do weird and wonderful things. And, and we'll be enthusiastic about one thing for five minutes and then something else. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that there is a a strict corporate only. What I would say though, is that people who tend to identify at one point of their life or another with being corporate through and through, they identify with the idea of stability. Being an entrepreneur is not necessarily the stable life that we prize in society. You know, it's, it's very much um, get a job, somebody will pay your salary, you will show up, you will do the best that you can at that job and, and they will continue to pay you. And that's the quid pro quo, right? You'll get health um, benefits, you'll get um, payment benefits, etc. Um, whereas the entrepreneurial mindset is very much about personal responsibility. And not everybody likes that. You know, I, I can 100% say that, you know, when I was 24, I didn't like the idea of having sole personal responsibility for all of my finances, making all of the money and sorting out all of my life stuff. Like that was a very, very big jump. And so I think those are probably the key differences for me. It's it's that idea of where you are in your life and whether what you want is stability and to develop, you know, or to um, develop your own skills or whether you want to take that, that full personal responsibility for who you are, how you show up in the world and, and how you generate money. Um, 
and obviously, you know, practicing your skills and, and learning to take that personal responsibility even further into your continued professional development as well can definitely see that as being a key differentiator because it really is all on you when you're mm. the business owner there's no one yeah. else is going to you know there's being self-employed and no one's going to pay you if you don't go and do the work but when you take mm. it to that next kind of entrepreneurial level it's like if you're not getting going to envisage what your work is and what your business is about no one else is going to have that vision for you exactly exactly and that's it's actually one of the interesting things you know we see a lot of people who come into my business who have been selling to corporate companies as contractors, for example, yeah. and they say, I'm just not sure I want to keep selling to corporates. And, you know, the, the biggest thing is that they're still acting like an employee. They're still being told, this is what you do. This is when you do it. Um, and, and you know, we will pay you uh, as compensation for making that happen. And then you get the entrepreneurs who are selling other things to corporates and, and they are they are reimagining the way that corporates can work. They are redefining um, working outcomes. They are having bigger conversations and, and putting bigger strategies in place around, you know, well-being and, and mindset and marketing and, and sales and all those kinds of things. And it depends on what you want. And again, it comes down to that mindset. Where would you rather be? Stability or, you know, taking full personal responsibility? The two are so, so different now. Definitely. And I, something I don't touch on very often on the podcast, but I have mm. thought about bringing it in this kind of conversation between whether you're a freelancer, whether you're mm. a business owner, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a contractor, to use your word. Mm. And they all have very different um, connotations, I think, in people's mm. minds. Yeah, they do. They're, they're very, very different. I mean, I think the the interesting thing for people is that you can become a consultant for corporates or you can become a contractor for corporates and, and that can bridge the gap between, you know, leaving a job and becoming an entrepreneur. Like it can be a really nice um, bridge for that gap. And it was something I did, you know, early on in my journey and I, I still do now. Like I, I sell to corporates and occasionally now I'm even allowed to go in and, and do some of the training because <laughs> my team... <laughs> My team occasionally let me go outside and do things. Um, but, you know, it, it is one of those things where, you know, if you want to try doing things a little bit differently, if you want to um, explore the idea of becoming a business owner or uh, leaving a job, you know, look at that um, contractor or consultant basis and, and see whether there are any opportunities there that can give you some semblance of that stability whilst allowing you to, to develop that creativity to do your own thing. Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, good advice, especially for people who are more tentative, because mm. it is a really useful stepping stone. And I think something else that my listeners are often doing is the side hustle, mm. which is another sort of alternative, isn't it? You dip your feet in yeah. both uh, ponds, or I don't know what watery metaphor I was going for then. Um, mm. But yeah, you have that kind of test it and experiment and see, and then you're ready to make that jump. And I think mm. that's something I talk about a lot when, you know, only you will know when you're ready to take on that next level of risk, that next level of personal responsibility, as you say, and that next level of uncertainty to really go all in with your business. And I'm never going to tell people when that is. It's just something that we do, you know, explore. Yeah, of course, of course. I think it's very normal as well. You know, I, I would also say that the benefit of doing this, you know, six years on is that neither option is ever going to be perfect all of the time. You know, there have definitely been days where I've been like, it would have been so much easier <laughs> to have a job. Um, and there were definitely days, you know, as I was setting up my business where I was like, oh my goodness, I hate the corporate world. I should never have worked here. I can't believe it. I'm so vanilla, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, you know, you're going to always have those days where 
you think that the other is preferable, but you know it, it's about making the right decision for you at the right time. And I think one of the benefits of leaving corporate is that you actually do uh, get to start embracing how you make decisions at the right time. Uh, because obviously when you're working in a company, they tell you what to do. They tell you when to do it. They tell you how to feel about it. They tell you, you know, how you express yourself around it and, and they will give you almost a prescription for every possible outcome. Um, and, and part of being a business owner is that you get to decide when things are the right time for you, when it's the right opportunity for you, when, you know, you're ultimately ready to take on um, a new challenge. And, and that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think some of those things can run really deep because I had mm. on my previous episode for this series, we talked a little bit about how you design the working day, how you have your teams running and, mm. you know, what kind of your work ethos looks like for your own team culture and how it can take a while to unpick some of those lessons we've been taught when mm. we were in corporate um, and realize, oh, I get to make all the decisions. I get to choose what's right or wrong. I get to choose what I wear and, and all those kind of things, which is so freeing, but also hugely overwhelming. It really is. I mean, decision fatigue as an entrepreneur is is a big thing. Um, and I don't remember having as much decision fatigue when I was working in a corporate. I probably did, but I, you know, maybe I just look back at it now with rose-tinted glasses. Um, but you know, I I find in all honesty that my first three months um, in running my own business were the hardest because suddenly nobody was telling me I had to be at my desk by a certain time and nobody was telling me what my KPIs were and nobody was telling me what to wear. And at a basic level, you know, nobody was telling me not to eat biscuits every 20 minutes. Like, and it was just one of those things, you know, I happened to be working in my kitchen and, and it was very, very closely located to the cupboard. Um, and I think, you know, for me, that made that first three months really challenging. I wasn't making as much money as I could have been because I wasn't prioritizing the right tasks. And so actually, you know, when people come to me, you know, who've worked in corporate before, I would say you've got this great grounding. That's the one thing that corporates really give you. Once you've had that moment of breathing out where you're like, oh, I can get up at eight o'clock if I want to, or I can work, you know, until 10 o'clock at night if I want to, or I can, you know, nip out and, and go to the doctors or grab a prescription or whatever, whenever I want to. Once you've done that and you've actually solidified your plan and you've you've structured your day and you've given yourself KPIs and, and you've looked at your time management and things, actually, it becomes a lot easier because you're used to it already. You're not trying to, um, you know, I, I think there's a big thing online and, and there always has been of, you know, just do it when it feels good for you. And in all honesty, when it comes to things like sales activities, that very rarely feels good to anyone. Like, it's not not necessarily the top <laughs> of anybody's list to be like, woohoo, I'm going to go sell today. Um so there are some things you just have to do and there are some things you just have to stretch in and having that core background, understanding, you know, what it actually takes and having that business acumen from having worked in an organization where, you know, functions have to work together to achieve a bigger outcome is so, so beneficial to you, to your own time management, to setting your own structure and to actually making that successful. Absolutely. And that's really interesting as well. It's something that I've talked about with others and I've thought about myself that I think when people leave corporate, there can be a little bit of a lag in terms of recognizing what mm. that career gave you or what that structure gave you. And then the second piece of that is using it to your advantage and using it in your 
kind of creations. Mm. But I've heard that a few times where it's like, oh, I look back now and I see that actually this was hugely valuable. And I've definitely felt this myself. I remember a moment when I was working on a project that was completely different, a completely different field to where I'd worked in corporate. It was completely different people that I was working with and the end outcome was fields apart. Mm. But I suddenly had a lightning bolt moment where I thought, my God, that five years that I spent in advertising agencies, in market research agencies, in marketing teams was so bloody useful. Mm, (laughs) And it just took me a little while for that penny to drop. And I think, like you say, those structures, we can take them and own them and give ourselves permission to tweak them and make them more suitable for how we want our own business to go moving forward. Totally, totally agree. And another thing you said, which I thought was really interesting, is that lack of, that's almost like bagginess in terms of the day and how you start the day and how you work on the right tasks. And that is something that I work on a lot with my clients, which is that hyper-specific productivity. It it forms part of my progressive mindset. And just while I remember that, if anybody wants to get on a call with me, I haven't given you the link so far this episode. It's in the show notes as ever, or you can go to calendly.com forward slash Lucy Orton and we can talk about how we might work together but yes I I kind of create this progressive mindset with my clients um that hyper specific productivity is absolutely key as is being able to embrace imperfect action so that sometimes you might just need to do something as you said whether it's right or wrong and just give it a go and you know have a rehearsal of it in real life rather than just thinking about it theoretically Yeah, exactly. I love that um, phrase, rehearsal in real life. That's really nice. I think sometimes we can end up feeling like we're almost going to be on stage and everything is the final production or, um, you know, that feeling of a final exam stays with us for a long time. Life's not like that. (laughs) It's it's a weird thing, isn't it? I think, you know, a lot of the people I see people worry so much about getting things perfect and one of the phrases that I'm always banging onto my clients I always say is production not perfection because Mm. reality is until you've done something you don't know if you're going to like it anyway and that's always the case with sales you know people pick this ideal client um (laughs) and they're like this is going to be my ideal client forever and I'm like no it's (laughs) not um you'd be lucky if that's your ideal client for six months because when we're picking something theoretically you know, we have this rose-tinted view of how that will look and how that will go. And the reality is that once we actually start doing that, once we actually start, you know, selling to those people and we start having those conversations and we start working through those sales processes and then into delivery, we don't know if we're actually going to enjoy that or not. We have no idea whether it's going to be interesting or not. And, And so, you know, I would say that having the hindsight of building two essentially separate businesses and and burning one down purposefully after I decided that, you know, it was fine, but it wasn't what I wanted to do anymore, is that you you have to be clear that it's not going to, you know, it's it's not going to ruin your business if you make a wrong decision. It's not going to ruin your business if you decide later on that actually you don't enjoy something, so you're not going to do that anymore. Um, That is the benefit of, of being able to be genuinely agile, and, and that's something that, you know, lots of companies are aiming for, but not necessarily able to actually activate. Running your own business gives you that ability to be flexible, to adapt to changing markets and, and to be genuinely agile in your approach. And, and that's something that's very, very rare uh, and, and something that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. And I love your phrase, production, not perfection. That's another mm. really nice one. And I, I think I've heard you say as well that you think 
you should kind of work in 90 day increments. Yes, 90 day I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell Just us more about that. Easier. Um, so I, I can't remember who it is. And there are, there are much more intelligent people out there than me that have kind of come up <laughs> no. with this idea. <laughs> Genuinely. Um, but... <laughs> But one of the great things about working in 90 day sprints is that you grab this understanding that you're not working on forever projects or that forever theory. And so you can pick an industry that you want to work with for 90 days. You can pick a project, you know, so some of our people inside my programs are focusing on speaking for the next 90 days. They want to book speaking gigs because they want to find out if they want to be keynote speakers Mm. uh, within corporate organizations or they're picking books. So they want to see if they actually do want to write a book and whether they Mm. could commit to it and and those kinds of things. And then you can also commit to 90 day sprints in your sales activity and lead generation, you know, trying something new, trying something new with business development. So you can apply it to anything. But the great thing about that is that it gives you the data. It gives you action actual measurable data at the end, which is so, so useful because as we head into entrepreneurship, a lot of us forget to track metrics. Mm. You know, it's something that I'm, I was a hundred percent guilty of. And, you know, now I'm, I'm sure my team, it drives them absolutely bonkers. How many numbers I ask for each week and the exact things I want to know, but you know, getting into the granular is, is really helpful for helping you uh, identify those decisions you need to make moving forward. And so if you're operating on a 90-day sprint basis, at the end of those 90 days, um, you're able to look back at the data and say, okay, well, what did I do here and how did that impact this particular area? And was it worth it? And did I get the result that I wanted? And if not, how could I improve that next time or how could I change that next time? And that's something that's really, really useful rather than looking back a year on and thinking, well, I'm not really sure how I got here, so I can't replicate it. And equally, I can't change it because I don't know what bits didn't work or that I didn't enjoy. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And and I think that feeds into something which I talk about from the mindset perspective, which is having that trial and error or that experimental mindset with what you're doing mm. is so valuable because it, it frees you up from a lot of that perfectionism and those saboteurs around uh, feeling like we have to get everything right first time. But it also gives us feedback. It gives us loads of learnings and the things that don't go brilliantly can be the most amazing learnings. I know that I've had things in the last six months that haven't gone as well and they've fed into much greater successes straight afterwards because I've learned so much in those in those periods. Exactly, exactly that. And I think as well what you were saying about that, you know, shifting away from that forever idea Mm. is such um in my mind a bit of a corporate hangover it's something that it 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 fits in with what you said earlier and what i i talk about and find fascinating that path of this is the this is the way through life this is what we need to tick off and these are the boxes and this is the arbitrary one-way road and actually that doesn't exist and when we free ourselves from that and we free ourselves from this idea that things have to last for a long period of time to be great then we can feel so much more free. Mm. Yeah, no, I would 100% agree. I think as well, there's something to be said, if you look at that idea, um, for women specifically, um, you know, there are a lot of tick boxes, both in life and in the corporate world. And actually they can feel like there are a lot of tick boxes when it comes to your own business as well. And so Mm -hmm. if you are somebody who, you know, has that corporate hangover around, I need to show up in a specific way or I need to be a specific way, what was really interesting for me coming online was that, you know, and bear in mind, this was six years ago, so it wasn't even as advanced as, as advanced as it is now. But, you know, 
one of the weirdest things for me was that people would blurt out their feelings on the internet for money. And, and that really, I just, I just didn't get it. I was, you know, and it was this, this talk of authenticity and, and things and real and raw and vulnerable, um, you know, and it was very, very new at the time. Brené Brown had only just come mm. out and, and started talking about it. And what that led to was some people practiced it really well and, and some people practiced authentic leadership very well. And, and that meant for them that, you know, they were showing up, they had their own boundaries around when they worked and when they would take time off. They had their own boundaries around their messaging and, you know, whether or not they were going to continue down a corporate line or whether they were going to occasionally swear in their content, which at the time was like a big thing. Like people really got upset about that and, and went one way or the other. And then you had the people who, you know, were essentially pimping their pain for profit on the internet. And, mm. and that was the bit that terrified me, you know, people who were showing up on live streams and they were crying. Um, and this is when, you know, Facebook Live hadn't even come out. They had this thing called Periscope and it was... <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah, that's, that's old school. <laughs> oh my God, it was so weird. And literally that had just come out, I think about a year after I left my job, I think. Um, and, and so all these people were suddenly like showing up on the internet and like crying and, and, you know, and it was, and they were like, oh my goodness, my life is, you know, everything's challenging. My mindset's really challenging, you know, and, and then it was fine or here's how I went through this major trauma and da da da, da and it, they'd get so real and raw and then they'd be like but if you don't want to experience that pay me this money and buy my thing and I just Ooh. I remember thinking oh my god I just want to like scrub myself with salt but <laughs> with anything you know the, there's there's room for the best of it and you're always going to also see the worst of it but if you have that corporate hangover of you know there are certain things that you should be doing or should not be doing entrepreneurship is is a weird a weird state because the more you hang out on the internet the more you will find that people will tell you or prescribe you how you should feel and they'll tell you you know which social media platforms you should use and and they'll tell you which lead generation method should be the best and and they'll tell you like you should swear or you shouldn't swear and they'll tell you what your financial goals are to a certain degree you know everyone bangs on about like i, I need to make a million pounds in in 60 minutes or something mm. and that can be very very hard because when you're coming out of corporate, you're used to taking feedback from everyone, right? Because mm. everyone's feedback is valid. Whereas when you go online, actually, it's a very, very small cross-section of people whose feedback is actually going to be valid. And I that's totally where you agree. have to start. Exactly, right? You, you have to start looking at that and, and thinking, okay, so what are my financial goals for me? what you know what's my expectation of work-life balance for me what's my expectation of, of running my business and the results that I want to help people get for me rather than taking it from all and sundry on the internet because a lot of them have absolutely zero clue what they're doing anyway and you know they they're prescribing information and a bunch of shoulds as opposed to you know this is based and tailored on what exactly you want to achieve and what's important to you so don't forget that when you come out of corporate and into entrepreneurship, it's not about what other people think about your goals. It's frankly irrelevant um, yeah. to other people. You know, they should be focusing on their own stuff. But really, really sit in that and be very clear and confident about what matters to you and what you want to do and your visions and values. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with all of that. And I agree as well that we have to shed so much in terms of worrying about what other people think. That is one of the number one saboteurs that I come up against with my clients. And specifically, it comes up around visibility for those people that want to get more visible or need to get more visible with their business. And they have this naysaying voice in their head that is made up of someone from their school, someone from their work, someone from their street. And it's those people that they're allowing in that are completely irrelevant. But like you said as well, there's a whole load of industry-wide or online entrepreneurship worldwide noise as well. And it again, we do have to, I like your expression, to sit with it. We have to sit with ourselves and give ourselves permission to lead from within. And um, uh, you mentioned Brene Brown, but I've, I've talked about it on some of my social media. But my favourite book of the year, or one of my favourite books this year, is Untamed by Glennon oh, Doyle. Oh, yes. Have you read that's it? very good, yeah. 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 And she talks about that knowing, you know, that inner mm. knowing. And I think if you take one thing away from that book, that's kind of the, the big mm. picture that we have to be able to listen to ourselves. And that means we need to do some work sometimes when we come out of corporate, we need to do a kind of mindset shift about who is it, who is the boss of me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the answer isn't, I'm the boss of me and the corporate world has gone because actually there's still complications within that and thinking about who those voices are and who's telling us that we're good, bad, indifferent, or who's giving us some kind of blueprint that we feel we have to follow and actually being able to listen to our own ideas and give ourselves permission to listen to that is really, really important. A hundred percent. And, you know, you also have to, if if you are worried about visibility, I think there are two things I would say about that. One is I was petrified when I came out of corporate and, Mm. you know, I was starting to sell my stuff on the internet because I just, I'd never, I'm not that kind of person. I'm very introverted. I hate Facebook. I hate, you know, the whole social media influencer thing. It's just not for me. Um, And I was terrified that people that I had worked with or that I'd known from university or college or whatever would think that it was, you know, this really weird thing. Um, And it's interesting because actually I was sat at home last night and on a Sunday evening, glamorous as ever, I was watching um, Made in Chelsea, I think, which is appalling, like (laughs) appalling to admit, but it's it's my, uh, I I just think it's it's really easy watching and it's it's really entertaining. but I was no judgment from me I I just you know it's one of those things I used to go to a lot of the bars in the city and I was like oh see you know how different would my life have been if I ended up in Chelsea my guilty pleasure is selling sunset oh yeah yeah it's people who know me are quite surprised when I say how much I enjoy it but I really (laughs) really loved that earlier this year it is just one of those things you know I think you do have to have some downtime and and mine is usually spent with that um but yeah I was sat there and I was was watching television and, and a message popped up on my phone from my first ever boyfriend um so we're talking you know like when I was I don't know 15 16 and um and he messaged me and he said hey I just wanted to let you know I've I've seen one of your Facebook ads in my news feed and I was like oh god um and he's like and and there's this like spelling mistake on it that I thought you'd want to know about and you know when you're just like oh that's so deeply cringe but how lovely that you know he's a been on my website to to look at what I'm up to these days and is getting stalked by our ads um and and he's reached out to let me know uh you know essentially 13 14 years later which he, he didn't have to but um and it was really nice you know I, I I sent him a message and I was like oh thanks I really appreciate that you know that's, that's great um cheers for letting me know and we actually had a really nice catch-up about you know how life was going in and things um so you know people don't I, I think a lot of people have this expectation that people will 
be really offended or or put off by Mm. what you're doing. And actually, you know, I I think people have been the complete opposite for me. I, I went to, you know, school with a lot of people who, you know, were quite rightly, um, thought I was a massive nerd and I, and I was, and I take no apology for that. Um, but they've been amazing about the fact that I've set up this business and, and, you know, it's really nice. The amount of people who've reached out and been like, Oh, so, you know, so nice. Um, you know, I saw you on good morning Britain or I saw you on, you know, channel five news or whatever. And, and they're so like happy, genuinely happy for you that you're doing something different. So I think, you know, do have faith in people. It's not always the people that you would expect um, that are the ones who, you know, are, are angsty over what you're doing. And I think the second thing you have to look at is in life, I, I tend to operate by the, the three F's policy. So, you know, unless you are feeding me, financing me, or there's another F word that I think we all know, um, <laughs> then you don't get to have an opinion, right? Yeah. On on what I do. And and that's how I operate in my life. And and that's been so liberating for me because I'm just like, cool, well, unless you're doing one of those things, actually your opinion's irrelevant. Like you can tell me what it is and that's cool if it gets it off your chest for you. But I'm not going to walk away from that conversation contemplating my life or my business or how I do things because it's not relevant. It's not relevant feedback from a relevant source. So off you go. I absolutely agree. And I use that word as well, relevant. You know, I use that with my clients. Like, is that relevant? You know, A, for a start, like you said, to your first point, people can actually be really, really nice. Whenever we worry about what someone out there our mum, our first boyfriend, our, um, you know, someone on the school run or whatever it is, they don't exist. Well, that thought process is all going on in your head. (laughs) And when we realise that and we think, well, actually, even if they did think it and they did tell me and they did write that email, like in your case, it was was very benign and and, and pleasant. But even if they did, then you get to choose whether or not you take that on board. And I I love that. And, And I think when we can make that mindset shift away from worrying about other people, it you know the world is our oyster it really does free up so much headspace and so much ability to just kind of progress and be ourselves and yeah. i another thing i think comes up here and i've been i'm going to do a podcast episode on this in a couple of weeks i keep writing this down i think i've written it on five diff- different post it notes <laughs> I keep it, have i have i written that idea down no i'll put it on my phone and then i realize i have actually already written it down i've just written it down here as well is um about fear of arrogance and mm. i i'm going to talk about this i don't know if this is going to be a particularly british fear but i do think we have this inbuilt fear of coming across as arrogant coming mm. across as loving ourselves or which is great by the way (laughs) it's great to love yourself um but coming across as being too big for our boots and that holds people back because they want to almost appear more humble than they are or apologetic really for success and and that is something quite big that a lot of us have to dig into and get past especially if you Mm. have a more introverted personality type I completely agree I mean it's it's a very it's definitely a British thing to be self-deprecating about your achievements um and I think it's it's quite an interesting thing. We always want to make people feel like it wasn't hard work or it wasn't, mm. um, you know, it wasn't too difficult. So I, I, the thing for me is that I think the online space can do this sometimes. There's such a low barrier to entry now. You can have a Facebook profile, you yeah. can say whatever you want and, and you can be set up as, as whoever you want um, in a matter of minutes. Um, 
And it's really interesting to me because I used to do it a lot. I would always say to people, oh yeah, it's not that hard and it's, you know, it's not that difficult. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want anyone to think that, you know, it's not possible for everybody. Um, and I grew out of that. And, and actually it was, uh, I, I have quite a lot of really good male friends. Um, and I looked at the way that they would talk about their jobs and, and how they had progressed in their careers. Um, and they were never apologetic for you know the fact that they'd worked really hard and that they'd obtained something that you know a lot of other people would not be able to um and that was really really interesting for me and and one of my friends Rob who actually now he works for my company and he he had set up our um, business development remit he said to me he was like Jess I remember when you started your business and you know you were working at 10 o'clock at night because you wanted to learn how to do email automation he was like and then you'd be up you know really early the next morning to look after clients in New Zealand and Australia because it was a time zone thing and I just wanted to get clients right to pay the bills Mm, um and, and I loved those clients they did exceptionally well but you know now that I can choose my hours and now that I can choose who I work with life looks very different you know it's it's very very different on that front but to not acknowledge all of the things that you do um or the things that you sacrifice or the things that you have to learn and you know improve and dig deep on yourself or your um professional skills it's it's a disservice to other people um because what it essentially does is is make your whatever you end up going and doing but it 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 diminishes the value of it because you say that it's so easy, anyone can do it. And and actually, from a sales perspective, that's very dangerous and it's very irresponsible because if we make people feel like it's too easy, they will try themselves. And when they fail, inevitably, because it's difficult for them to troubleshoot or it's difficult for them to um, stay accountable or whatever that looks like, they blame you. They don't blame themselves right? That's, yeah. that's the problem yeah. with creating vast amounts of free content all of the time and never selling is that that person will not necessarily have the self-awareness to think, but you know, it's quite likely that if I was working with Jess or if I was working with Lucy, um, you know, I would be doing something differently or I would be, you know, having a core accountability meetings to make sure that something happened or I would be, you know, they would be supporting me if something went wrong and, and showing me how to do it differently and how to do it for me they're just looking at the surface piece of that. And so actually that can do a real disservice to you and a real disservice to your sales process, you know, to not own the fact that things might be difficult, that they might be tough and that you have worked really hard to get the sales uh, and the skills to get people there. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that it all feeds back into that perfection image and that Instagrammable life. Mm. And, oh, I just set this up in my spare time and it was just nothing. And I do think it definitely feeds into that almost as well as saying we don't want to be too arrogant or we don't want to be coming across as too big for our boots. We almost don't want to look like we're trying too hard, which I completely reject that. I'm happy to tell people that I work hard, that I create, you know, things and it takes time. And then I do my client work and I work hard on that. But I at the same time I create a life that fits and works for me it's a balance and I think yeah it's disingenuous to suggest that it's just sort of happened and that whole phrase there is no such thing as an overnight success and yet so much of what we're fed suggests that that might well be the case it's it is scary you know and it can be um and I was very fortunate you know I've I've had um a lot of success in my business and in relatively short periods of time when people ask me about it and they ask me to talk about it, I'm like, well, it's it's irrelevant in all honesty because mm. my skill is selling. 
that is what I'm yeah. good at. That's that was my job for many, many years. It's where I've honed all of my professional skills. And so frankly, if I hadn't been able to do it, then really there were bigger problems at play, right? Um yeah. what's more important is what my clients are able to achieve and, and the results that they show daily. And that's more important because it gives a better reflection of what you're more likely to experience, you know, and, and that's what's important. So when you're out there and you're thinking about the entrepreneurial dream and, and you know, you will be exposed to about a bazillion courses because everyone's got a course mm-hmm. on how to build a business now. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I don't say that in a disparaging way at all. There are just thousands and it can be hard to choose which one is right for you don't go based on what that person has done for themselves go based on what they've done for other people or how their clients have um achieved because the reality is that you know you might be able to do something for yourself but you might not be a great coach i'm mm. i'm not the world's best coach but i'm a great teacher and that's you know that's a skill of mine i'm a great trainer but i'm not necessarily the person that's going to sit there much like you would be able to lucy that's a skill of yours coaching mm. is a very very different skill set being able yes. to listen to somebody and help them make the best decision for them is very, very different than somebody sat there going, okay, well, this is a strategy that you need to follow because it's the most likely to get you results right now. So let's let's do that. Let's action that. They're two very, very different skills. So look at what people are offering and, and look at what they, you know, what they actually can help you achieve versus what they've done for themselves with their own areas of expertise. Yeah, I think that is very, very wise advice. It goes back down to that ability to trust your own judgment and mm. and look at things I know that for me personally uh, when I've chosen coaches that I've worked with I've gone direct to clients and found out things um, about how that experience has been and it's been so valuable because when you can hear from somebody else who's in a similar position to you and they're getting to a position that you'd like to be in it's just brilliant that's why testimonials are so fantastic and case studies because it gives you that absolute glimpse into what's mm. possible. 100%. In terms of that, actually, it's brought me on to probably one of my final questions now. What kind of coaching experience have you had yourself? Have you worked with coaches? Have you worked on mindset specifically? Um, I've worked with, I've, I've probably bought more courses <laughs> than anyone in the world. Um, I have spent an inordinate amount of money on courses. And honestly, there are a lot I've never used. So don't follow my yeah. example on that. Um, I've worked with a lot of coaches. Most recently, I did a year-long um, coaching experience with Ali Brown who is one oh, yes. of the world's leading coaches for um seven figure business owners um and I was in her premier group from uh, the beginning of 2019 to the end um and we now do intensives and, and things like that and that's a huge huge financial commitment um at the time I signed up it's around around 50,000 pounds, I think. Um, So it's a very, very big commitment. Um, And that was the year that I decided to change uh, my entire business. Um, And so I made some big, big changes um, that I hadn't expected to make at the beginning of my business journey at all, that that, that were never on the radar. So um, I would say that I've invested very heavily into coaching. um, But I would also say that uh, this year I have taken, so 2020, the year of the pandemic, Mm. um, I've actually not had a coach. And, you know, uh, what I've done instead is to look at the lessons that I took on board from last year, from what was a very, very intense coaching experience, um, moving a lot around in my business and just using that to set 
yeah. um, and, and to figure out what it is that I want to do um, and where I want to go for 2021. And that's been, you know, invaluable. And next year, I will look back and, and see what the gaps are in my business or in my mindset and where I want to go next. Um, but yeah, over the years, I've, I've worked with mindset coaches and you know consultants I've worked with um coaches for business strategy and things and you know I I think it's it's one of those things that you're always going to be investing um in your business but you have to do it based on almost a gap analysis of where do I actually need to go what are the skills that I need to learn you know what is it that's really holding me back exactly. so again always go back to you know what is it for you is it that mindset piece is it that strategy piece is it a combination of the two and you know the reality is uh, you know for anybody who I would say that I'm relatively self-motivated if I'm honest I'm not like <laughs> I'm not Tony <laughs> Robbins um but I'm relatively self-motivated and you know for me it's always been very very difficult um to go into self-study courses and, and things like that because unless I really really want something it's very very hard sometimes to get that accountability so if you already recognize that in yourself if you know you're going to need um accountability and you know you're going to want you know bespoke support always always have a chat with people about what you know coaching one-to-one or you know small group programs and and things like that can look like um because it it can feel heartbreaking sometimes to buy a program have every intention of doing it and then you know afterwards beat yourself up for failing or feeling like you failed because you didn't go and complete every single module like that's not how the online course industry works and in fact it's very very normal um you know only 12 percent of people will actually complete a course Yes, and, and that's the reality. You told you told me that on your podcast, and that was yeah. A, it's a it's a great stat. I'm kind of probably the opposite to you. I work quite well with self study, but yes, I recognise that in others that like you said some people just that is not going to work for them they need that buddy they need that champion they need that personalized accountability and they need it for the longer haul as well you know they need more of an ongoing relationship before i ask you the final question can you tell my listeners about the uh, free gift that you've got to offer them which i'm going to post into the show notes Yeah, of course. So um, if you are somebody who is interested in selling your services to corporate organisations or you want to explore what that might look like for you, you can actually watch um, my webinar. So it's how to land corporate clients in less than four hours a month. Um, you can watch that webinar and it literally gives you a really good overview of the exact steps that you would need to take right through um, from that clarity point of deciding if it's something you want to do um, to the practical aspects of how you would actually go about creating offers, selling um, your services into organisations. So take a look at that. It is about 45 minutes long and then there's some Q&A after, but obviously, you know, I love other people's questions because I'm very nosy, but if you don't, that's fine. You don't have to watch that bit. Um, But do do give it a watch it'll give you a really clear overview um, of how you might need to set that up and what that might look like for you and some of the options and best ways to do it fantastic and I know from watching lots of Jess's content and listening to Jess's content in the past that 40 minutes will fly by so it will definitely be (laughs) worth your your time so my final question for today's interview is what are you most thankful for in terms of being a business owner um oh it's uh 
I mean, it, it's a kind of everything question, isn't it? Um, mm. For me, I guess, in terms of being a business owner, I am thankful for who I've become um, over the course of the last six years. I would say that I started out a rel- relatively, you know, arrogant 24-year-old um, who was good at selling things and, you know, had certain expectations about life. And I would say that right now I'm a 31-year-old who is uh, bordering that line <laughs> on confidence <laughs> as opposed to arrogance, which is always a nice place to be, um, who has really developed, you know, skills in training and teaching and has learned ultimately a lot about internal resilience and you know who you have to become in order to successfully run a business lead a team manage people uh train people and deal with um different situations every single day and i think you know if i hadn't had my business the pandemic this year would have had a really different impact on me um which i i think is probably controversial to say but you know the pandemic has given me the ability to support people at different levels it's given me the ability to be a lot more human um, in the way that I operate with people externally of my business Um, and it's given me the ability to really support others uh, who aren't as fortunate um, as me And, and that's that's been a really really cool way to deal with it Um, rather than worrying about external factors and and how they might impact, you know, my job at any given time and and letting that uh, put extra stresses onto me. So yeah, I would, I would say that it's, it's who I've become has been the thing that I'm most grateful for and how that has allowed me to show up. I love that. And that ties in really nicely with my series title, which is that empowered (laughs) CEO. You know, you're really the empowered CEO of your life and your business and who you've become is that transformation piece. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it, no, it's, it's been amazing. You also made me think as well, when you were talking about the pandemic, something I've talked about, I don't think on a podcast, I think I talked about it on a social media post, but um, is that actually your side business or your entrepreneurship or your um, your thing that you're thinking of can actually really be your safety net in 2020 mm. and beyond 2021. It can actually be the thing that could provide your stability to go right back, to circle right back to when we were talking about that need for stability actually having that uh, flexibility and that ability to pivot and change is kind of the order of the day at the moment. And I think, yeah, that's something of what you were saying there about how your business has been a blessing to you in this year. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I would say that my business, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm always very, very clear running a business is not necessarily as glamorous as it always looks um, <laughs> because everyone's idea of, of flexibility is different. I'm sat at home, you know, with the dog rather than jetting off around the world every five minutes. But actually that was what I came from. That's what I wanted to get away from. And and so my idea of, of work-life balance will look very, very different to somebody else's. But the reality is that whilst your business will always be one of the greatest things that you ever do, it will also reflect some of the greatest challenges you will ever have, you know, both within yourself as a person um, and, you know, in, in learning new skills and, and being forced to deal with new challenges every single day. So I think, you know, if if you are somebody who is quite like me, you've got to thrive on doing the work and, and showing up every day for part of the journey. 
you know that's that's really what makes a successful business owner is not somebody who wants to work to live and not somebody who wants you know a first class lifestyle or, or whatever it's somebody who really really enjoys the journey because it is always going to be different and it, it's not ever going to get to a period where it's going to be the same every day and it's going to be monotonous you know that there's always going to be something going on yeah that makes absolute sense and there's loads of wisdom in your words there Jess so thank you very very much you're welcome it's been great thank you for having me you're you're very welcome and um, as I said I'll pop Jess's details into the show notes for anyone who wants to follow her listen to her podcasts and generally soak up the goodness of Jess Lorimer I will leave the episode there and be back next Wednesday for another episode of the Resign and Shine podcast thanks Jess thank you bye